You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Welcome to today's episode, sponsored and powered by Dynamis Group. Recently honoured to be part of 300 years of leadership and innovation. We at Dynamis believe that business is a catalyst for positive impact in the world. By building a bridge between the top leaders of today and the brightest leaders of tomorrow. We inspire them to do things they have never done before. Whoa, we're up for another podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. This is Neurodiversity with Theo Smith. And today I'm going to share with you what is an incredible story um, from two wonderful people that I met at an event recently where I was um, partnering with six MHS uh, go and check them out, incredible organisation, supporting individuals, uh, and in this context, supporting individuals in the context of neurodiversity, um, and I met with Mima and John, and at the end of this event, they shared with me um, their incredible journey and story, and I was um, so overwhelmed with excitement and happiness and joy for what they shared with me, because I was part worried when they were sat there chatting every now and again during a presentation, that they were going, what is he talking about? This guy doesn't know what he's doing. Luckily, I think they, it resonated with them, and they were actually going, yeah, yeah, that kind of makes sense to us, or not. But they'll tell me whether, you know, what the case was now. Um, so, Mima John, is an absolute pleasure to have you on. I'm really excited to to talk with you and to get your uh, your story out there. Maima, would you like just to introduce yourself and uh, let people know who you are? Yeah, um, I'm Maima. I think I'd probably describe myself as a Lego-obsessed forester. Um, so during the day, I play, I, well, play forestry. I do forestry as my job at Chatsworth. Um, so I get to do, when I, I have a dream job, I get to do like outside stuff, like counting trees, measuring trees. Um, I get to do inside stuff, making maps, making apps. Um, like a, it's a dream come true, and I get to cycle around and generally have a really good time. And then at home, I get to I spend all the money I earn buying Lego sets. Um, and then in the summer, when it's sunny outside, I go and play cricket with, um, well, with both a men's team and a ladies' team. Um, so that that's me in a nutshell, really. I love trees, Lego, and cricket. <laughs> that's brilliant, and I love that. And by the way, if I, I'm not going to turn the camera around now because I'm going to make a mess of everything. But in this room, we've got um, we've got football stadiums of Lego. We've got Manchester United's football stadium. We've got a Lego chess set. We've got the Batmobile up there. We've got the Taj Mahal in the other room. We've got, I, like, I, I can't tell you. It's all. Now, it's not all down to me. Um, some of it is, is Marion, who I work with, and his son as well, all obsessed about building Lego. So uh, well with you on that one. John. Hi there. Uh, I, I'm John. Uh, John Everett. I uh, am Mima's 
boss, I suppose, is how we met. Um, I employed her to supposedly play uh, at forestry. Um, so my, my job is um, I'm the forestry manager. Uh, I work for Chatsworth and Bolton Abbey Estates in Derbyshire and Yorkshire. And we have the absolute, absolute privilege of looking after uh, quite a lot of woodlands and trees. I'm not, I like Lego. I probably wouldn't be the same mm-hmm. obsession as, as Primer, but I'm certainly as obsessed in cricket. Uh, and, and and rugby and the general outdoors. So uh, classic cars. Classic I like classic cars. cars. Yeah, they're my Lego, I suppose. Yeah. They're a bit more. Well, I thought I thought I thought Lego was expensive, and then. <laughs> but no, um, yes. Yeah, so I'm. Uh, I've known Mama now for four years. Um, been on quite a journey uh, together. Brilliant. And you just shared with me just before me being a Welsh boy. Um, and uh, you mentioning that you both went to uh, Bangor University, and I know that to be an incredible university based on the nature of the work that you do, right? So I'm just like bigging up Bangor University for a minute there, for those who don't know, and, and for the work within that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Getting to, I grew up in Cambridgeshire, so it's really flat and there's no trees. Um, and then thought, yeah, I'll go to Bangor. It's like 250 miles away from home. This is excellent. No one to bother me. And then I found it was full of hills and lots of trees. I, I got fit, to be fair. I had to walk up hills to get to the shops, which was a unique experience. But it was a very, very nice place to study. I was spoiled. Um, and uh, yes, so I went to Bangor University in my early 2000s and did a degree in forestry and forest products. And also it was excellent because I like rugby. We played rugby. I liked forestry. We played forestry. And I liked going out and socialising. And we did quite a bit of that as well. So uh, it was uh, it was all good. And I like the beaches on Anglesey. Nice place to be. Brilliant. Tick, tick, tick. So let us get on to, <laughs> let us get on to Beyond Wales and, and Bangor and, and rugby and cricket and Lego. The really interesting thing is around two human beings who come together who um, perhaps don't understand um, uh, a lot about the way that they're is working and, um, and and the way that it impacts them and the way that work may impact them and the way that I, what fascinated me which I'm sure we'll get on to is the impact that you've had on one another by uh, going on this journey so why don't you just take us back to those early days moments I guess of interviewing that experience of of uh, first job I imagine at a university or, or, or not and and what that felt like, and then the experiences that kind of led on from there. I remember um, uni was really fun, but it was also really hard at the same time. I don't think I appreciated how hard it was until afterwards, and then I realised that not everyone else had such a hard time. Um, but I basically got towards the end of my degree and thought, okay, so next step is you have to get a job. That's how life works. Um, so I was looking around to try and find a job. Um, I'd actually got quite sick while I was at uni, so I started having seizures. So it meant I couldn't drive, which when you want to work outdoors and cover large areas of land, it's quite a big barrier to getting employment. So even though I was pretty intelligent on paper, um, practically, I didn't really have any skills at all. So the idea of getting a job straight out of uni was absolutely petrifying. Um, So I started looking at like trying to find a placement, but to do after I finished. So I could sort of like I wouldn't have I wouldn't be expected to know everything and I could get some experience and I could get a proper job. And then the one here at Chatsworth turned up and I looked at it and thought, oh, okay, that seems kind of fun. So I applied 
And then I sort of thought, oh, I probably won't get it. I've not got a driving license. Uh, I, I don't expect to get anything here. But, you know, I was filling out applications. I'd probably like my 20th, 30th application, I think. So I'd got quite good at them by that stage. Um, and then, yeah, to my surprise, actually, John rang me up a few weeks later um, and was like, oh, your CV didn't say if you had a driving license. I was like, well, I, I do have one. I just, I'm just not allowed to use it. So it just depends um depends how you look at it so it's like legally i can't drive but i know how um and john sort of undenied on the phone and he went oh well you look kind of cool so uh, you can come for an interview and we'll just see see how it goes and i thought oh all right and i sort of thought oh well it's a day trip isn't it i get to go on a tour of chatsworth for, for free so i sort of just thought it was a day trip and um sort of started i didn't really think about it much at all actually and it wasn't till probably the night before when i actually went oh my gosh this is actually quite a big deal because i haven't got an interview for any of the jobs and i might be able to make something happen so there was an immediate i was living at, in uni halls at the time so it was an immediate conference of all my friends uh, in the hallway being like i right, what what am i actually doing i i know how i'm getting there i haven't actually thought about anything else um i also didn't really know what to wear I got quite confused and um, John will probably tell you later that I didn't, I didn't wear what you'd expect to wear at an interview. I think it was a hoodie and a pair of hiking trousers, but in my defence, they were clean. So um, <laughs> I thought that was the most important thing. But I um, rocked up to interview. Um, interview was fine. I'm quite good at that because it's a really easy, it's a really structured thing. You get to just walk into a room, you normally shake their hands, which is horrible because my hands sweat all the time. So you, I shake their hands and then feel horrible they've had to touch what is potentially a very sweaty hand um then you just sit there and they ask you a question you answer then you smile at the end and go home so that's all that really happened and then I went home and um and that was that and it wasn't till it was two days later um I was actually I just finished my dissertation so I was actually lying in bed relishing the fact that I didn't have any work to do and then the phone went which is really weird because I never really got phone calls no one no one rang me I always message people and then lo and behold, it was John. And I felt, I felt very inadequate talking to John whilst wearing pajamas. Um, but and then he was like, Oh, so, um, yeah, I think I'm going to offer you the job. And I, I didn't really know what to do with the information. I went, Oh, okay. And then he sort of asked if I still wanted it. And I was like, yeah. And then that was, that was the end of the phone call. And I, I didn't really know what to do with myself. So I knocked on my flatmate's door, um, he opened it. I was in absolute floods of tears. He immediately panicked and went, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with you now. What what do I do with you? And then I was like, oh, I got the job. And that was it, really. I went, I spent the whole day just running around Bangor telling literally anyone I saw that I got given a job. And I was like the happiest person alive, really. Um, and it was it was cool. I didn't realize how much of a big deal Chatsworth was growing up. I grew up in like a church family. Um, and so, you know, I finished uni, went home. And all the old ladies were just, they just loved it. They're like, oh, Chatsworth, oh, God. And my grandmother, I think, my grandmother's absolutely loved it because they, they were like, oh, well, my granddaughter's working at Chatsworth now. So I think they were really enjoying the fact that I was going to get a job at Chatsworth. Um, so that's how it came about. John just saying, yeah, all right, I'll give you a go for a year. And I thought, oh, wow, I've got a job now. No, I was just going to say I love the I love the excitement, the joy, the um, the descriptions that you've given there around um, things that for a lot of people they may not think about, like the handshaking, um, the thinking, processing stuff that a lot of other people may not uh, consider, like where you are, what you're in, in pajamas, talking to somebody, whether it's appropriate or not. Like it's that uh, often over processing 
the environment, the situation, what's been said to you, and, and the brain like working really hard uh, where other people would just go, right, okay, job, what are the details, off I go. Uh, and I think maybe there's, you're, you're starting to give us uh, um, a taster of what was then to come, right? And, and what John would then experience. So John, uh, what your kind of, let's have your perception of this. Yeah, well, it's very different actually. Jemima is very modest. So Jemima was actually quite well known and we're not a big community because she, um, she set up a, a sort of a social enterprise, a company that um, promoted forestry as a career to young adults. Um, so she spoke at a number of big events, amazing uh, young ladies speaking very fluently and clearly and inspirationally uh, in front of many hundreds of people. As soon as, obviously, when you get a CV, um, you sort of have a quick look and think, yeah, I thought I remembered that, recognise that name. And yeah, so it was this, this amazing, articulate uh, young lady, um, very knowledgeable, first class degree, of course, you know, very intelligent. Um, I sort of um, looked at the CV and it was an absolute given that she was going to get a job, you know, she was going to get an interview because I found her a really interesting person. And I'd like to meet her. And I suppose being where we are, we were lucky in a way because... In the, the, the we had a year placement on offer, so we. Um, I, th I thought, you know, yes, you can't drive. That's not ideal. But really, the sort of driving was, a, <clears throat> although it was a consideration because of the actual brilliance of Jemima's experience and CV and 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 what I saw of her speaking on the internet. Uh, I thought, well, she's definitely worth worth seeing. Um, yeah, the interview was interesting. <laughs> I always find interviews interesting. Yes, Jemima came in with a hoodie on. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not a traditionalist by any stretch of the imagination. I, I quite like different, um, is how I'd describe it. I think I've always described it. And, yeah, I didn't particularly notice the wet, limp handshake, although we get a few of those, I suppose. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so I and usually yeah. when I phone someone and offer them a job, they react quite excited and, uh, you know, oh, that's brilliant, oh, fantastic. Um, Jemima was just very deadpan and just went, okay. And I was a bit taken aback by this and thought, well, where's this amazing, inspirational, you know, inspiring young lady gone? She seems like she doesn't actually want it. Am I, have I done the right thing here? Have I done the right thing here? Um, not knowing, obviously, which I know now, that Jemima was running around Bangor, dancing and swinging from the treetops um, with delight. Um, so, you know, looking back in hindsight, I think that was the first sort of flag. And so on that basis then, Mima, how was the... How was the journey for you? You so you started working. It was experience of work for the first time. Um, there were probably some challenges I that you mentioned around not driving. So how did that impact you? And then where were the where did it start to where did you find it difficult? Where did you find it challenging? And then where I guess then we can go on to John around where he started to realise that there were some challenges and, and how you then kind of developed a strategy to move forwards. I suppose I suppose actually when I started it was crap. Like it was, there's no way of putting it. It was horrible. I think I, I was very confused because I was having loads of conflicting emotions all at the same time. So even though there'd be some bits that I do and think, wow, this is amazing. Like at the end of my first day, um, I took my bike and I got to ride it all the way back from our forest yard, which is right at the top at the edge of the estate and rode it all the way back to the flat. And obviously, having never ridden on a hill before, I was terrified, but it was really, really cool. And it was sunny, and I was getting so many good photos, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. But at the same time, so much of it was just awful. Um, and that's no one's – it was not – it's not that the job was awful. It's not that the people were awful. It was just because 
I didn't understand how I worked. They didn't understand how I worked either. And it was just an absolute melting pot of everything I couldn't <laughs> couldn't handle. So um, I was living in the, the estate has like accommodation for students. They're only there for a year. So it's cheaper because obviously they've got loads of nice houses, but they're massive and really expensive. Um, so I was in a, I was in a little flat, literally opposite the office. So the, the commute was perfect. It was just less than a minute to get to the office. Um, and I was living with two other guys, um, Tom and Kester. And I look back now and I realize how lucky I was because they were stellar, stellar guys. Like they were really chilled out. They really loved what they were doing and they were just they were just really willing to help with anything. So one of them was working with the building yard, so like property maintenance, and the other one was a land agent, so looking at renting out places and managing the other bits of land. Um so we all had our own room and then we shared a kitchen, shared a living room, shared a bathroom. Um it is literally just like halls on a miniature scale. So it was really, really nice because they were great, really nice guys, but I just it was yeah, like you said, it's the first time having a job, which is just even though I lived away from home at uni, unis, if you're not feeling it, you can just bin it off. Like, if you wake up and think, no, I, I feel rubbish today, I'm going to stay in bed, you can. No one's going to stop you, no one's going to tell you off. Whereas at work, it's like, you will be at work at half seven, or you're going to get really badly told off. Um, and so it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a culture shock, I suppose, having to try and manage feeling rubbish whilst being around people and having to almost... You have to just, I suppose for me, it was just masking even more and trying to keep up this persona of being a really happy person all the time, which is just not sustainable at all. Um, and then I really liked work, but there were some things that I just couldn't, I just could not get my head around. And there were things that John was like, well, this is really simple. You should be able to do this. And I was like, oh my gosh, I should be really, really dumb. And I can't, it's just not working. And it was stuff like... Um, I think one of the ones that really stuck on one is like timber stacks. So we fell all the trees, we stack all the timber at the edge of the side of the road, and you have to just measure them so you can work out how much is there, so you know how many wagons to send, which sounds really simple. Like you have a, you know, you measure it out, jobs are good. And I have no form of spatial awareness when it comes to distance, like at all. If someone says, oh, just, just another five metres back, I haven't got a clue what five metres is. It's the same as saying walk back the length of five bananas. It doesn't, it means absolutely nothing to me. So having to try and measure timber stacks and John would just, he just does it. He just walks along and goes, yeah, it's about 10. Oh, there's going to be about 20 things there. And I'm just like, what is this? Is which part? And I just couldn't, could not work out how to do it. I had to do it with a tape measure and it just, I was just really slow. And I've since learned that John's, John is very patient, but he's also not very patient. So when he stood there being like, come on, this would take like a minute. And I'm there in my 10th minute trying to work out where the tape measure should go. It like it, it did cause some, I think, friction where it's just like, come on, this is really easy. Stop messing around. Um, so stuff like that was really just really annoying me that I couldn't do it. And it should be really simple. And I was like, come on, I've got a first class degree. I can't even measure a side of a timber stack. And then I just didn't have I had like no energy. Like I go home, get into the get into where I was living and then be like, I, I can't literally can't do anything. I'd know most nights I'd probably go for a wee I'd maybe make some food if it was a good night and even then when I say make food I'm talking like oh I'll put this dish in the microwave and eat it up or oh I'll cook some noodles on the hob it wasn't you know we're not talking like a free free course meal I'd probably make the food I'd probably say hi to Tom and Kester and then be like ah I'm gonna go to bed now and you know by half six seven o'clock every night I was just in bed in the corner Hugging, hugging Peter Rabbit, my little soft toy. I'd just be in the corner 
hugging Peter Rabbit, probably having a meltdown or just sort of lying there being like, I've, I have no energy, can't do it, don't think this is going to work out. So to start with, it was pretty pants, even though on the face of it, well, it didn't. It didn't look like I was coping. I wasn't coping, but I was trying really hard to cope because I wanted to make it. I was desperate for it to work because I thought this is really cool. And I do like, I loved bits of the job. Like I loved the mapping and coding and being able to do bits on the map that John couldn't quite work out made me feel really cool. But then, yeah, it was stuff like not being able to measure timber stacks or not even being able to ID what a tree was that was like, that's proper basic. If you're a forester, you should probably know what sort of tree that is. So it was, yeah, it was pretty rubbish and it was just really hard. That's how I describe how it first died, actually, which isn't what everyone expects you to say, but yeah. Yeah, I, I sort of started to see through the masking quite quickly. Now I know it's masking, but I just didn't quite understand what had happened to this, um, you know, this really inspirational um, person that I'd met. And, you know, I'd be introducing her to my colleagues and my friends and peers as, as this, this person, and you were nothing like that person. She was a shell. She was, um, you know, she was, looked tired. She was, you know, just not able to interact, um, you know, and it's just started... You know, and, and we saw your health, you know, um, Jemima's seizure regularity got more. Um, so she was regularly having seizures at work and at home that, that, that we were, I, I, I and the team were having to sort of deal with and manage. And um, yeah, it, it was, you know, it was really sad because I could almost, you could see the brilliance. But I couldn't, I didn't understand what was going on. You know, and I couldn't quite, I couldn't, I, I had no idea what was going on. Uh, really, well, we, yeah. like we both. Well, you, you probably you didn't either. I think, no. which is the thing. But uh, you know, that was getting me frustrated. I think also my management style is is interesting. So um, with students in particular, I like to challenge them. I like to give them lots of responsibility and make them learn by their mistakes. So the way I do that is by deliberately setting them tasks that I'm extremely vague about expecting them to come back to me and say, John, you asked me to measure that timber stack. How do you measure a timber stack? Whereas Jemima never asked that question. So my count so for previous students, um, I become even more vague. So if somebody doesn't come back and ask me the questions, I almost force them to do it by not by just being really, 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 really vague. Um, and I'm pretty vague at the best of times. Um, and eventually it gets set to level for me so I know actually how much I can trust them. I need to know early doors where how far I can tr- how far I can go with them before they come and ask for help. And you know the answer. I don't mind where that is. It's just I just didn't. And I was just being you know. In the end, I was just like I can't. Well, you know what, what's going on? It's obvious she doesn't know what's going on here. Uh, why didn't she just ask me? And yeah. So there was a number of sort of things that I was well just I was worried. I, you know I was really genuinely worried for her health and thinking this this is not going to work no but clearly so this so you you recognize that there's a problem um uh, the, the fact that it's a health problem as well right so um it's triggering uh, different um experiences emotions uh, having a physical response neurological response and at this time there's i guess there's no real explanation for it from both your perspectives right you just know that something in work is having an impact on you but you're not quite able to understand what that is what was then the journey to say okay right there is something we have to deal with and rather than it just be like end of job see you later or i'm off because i've had enough right because 
fight or flight situation. That's what a lot of people do in that situation. They go, I'm not, I've done it. I've gone I'm walking because I no longer know what is going on with my brain in this environment. If I'm going to take myself out of the environment, why didn't that happen here? What I was, my, my wife is a, a primary school teacher, specialises in early years. And I was describing to my mom, you know, she met you a few times and she'd seen, you know, I'd seen people having seizures before. I remember seizures weren't what I would class as normal seizures. They weren't, they weren't like typical. typical. Um, so, I, so I couldn't really understand those. I could see they were bad. Anymore. So, you know, I was re- getting really worried about my I was just talking to my wife uh, one evening about describing the symptoms I've just talked about now. And then she just dropped this, well, do you think she's autistic? And I just said, well, and then again, I'm going to display my ignorance here. I had that stereotype of, no, autistic people are, the, are the, the naughty boy sat in the corner banging his head off the desk or, 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 or fighting with people. Jemima's not autistic because she's functioning. She's intelligent. You know, and that sounds really bad. I promise you that I have completely changed my way. Put it to Google, you know, female autism. And I think, you know, the last three or four years has been a, an awful lot of stuff, really good stuff being done by a number of people. As soon as I put it in, you know, the one thing jumped out of the page for me and it said one in four people, uh, one in four um, autistic people, particularly female, develop seizures in late adolescence, exactly like Jemima had. And I remember um, straight after that, and I sort of went down the list of the bullet points on Google and I was like, yep, yep, yep. I think this is, on, I think she's, I think Jenny was onto something. And, and interestingly, there was a um, one of the early documentaries that Chris Packham had done. Um, and I just put that on Google and I, I watched it and it wasn't, Exactly, Jemima, obviously, but there were so many traits. I was just like, oh, wow, but yep, that's Jemima. Yes, the food, my goodness, yep, that's Jemima. She has the same squashed, um, horrible-looking Marmite sandwich every day for lunch. You know, she described, you know, she, you can see she was losing weight. And I thought, yep, yep, yep. So, you know, I sort of then got into a difficult position. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Jemima's autistic. Does she know when she's not telling me? Yeah, or is it, is it something she's... She's trying to hide. Does she know about and, and she's ashamed of? Um, so I had this sort of... Well, we'd gone away. This was probably... We'd gone on a field visit up to Scotland. So obviously there's a fair bit of driving time where you just, you just sat together. So it was on the journey on the way home. And even though I'm not the best at reading body language, um, because I'd known John for a while, I got to learn, sort of learn what was normal for him and what wasn't. And sort of partway down the road, he was fidgeting around those and speaking weird. And in my head, I was like, what the hell is, is this? Is this guy okay? Like, is that going to be weird? We're just driving home. Like, I, I, I was getting worried that I'd done something wrong. And I was like, ah. And then he was he was sort of like, oh, so, um, um, yeah, I, I was speaking to some people. I was like, he's, he, like, normally, for John, as you can see, the words just flow out. And I was like, he's stuttering. And I was like, is he okay? Like, this is bad. I can't drive. If he can't drive, we're going to be stuck. And um and then he was like, all right, so I um you could but do do you think maybe you you might be autistic? And I I was just like, oh okay, um I I didn't really think much about it, but I was like, cool. And I sort of in my head I was like, right, I'll I'll put that on the list to ask my friends about later. And then and then there was just this silence, and I was a bit like, oh maybe I should talk some more. And I was like, uh I was like, what do you want to talk about now? Um and that I didn't really realise that John was probably expecting some follow up questions, and I. I have, I don't have loads of friends. I have two really, really, really close friends from uni and they're the ones that I sort of stay in touch with. Um, and I rang one of them when I got home um, and he'd obviously, he'd been, he'd seen how hard of a time I was having because he was the one that was getting the messages 
all throughout the night when I couldn't sleep or I was stressing out. And um, so, and I just said, oh, John said this. He thinks oh, I might have autism. And it, it, again, it was really good timing because he'd just done, he works for a student's union. And that week he'd been doing loads of training about neurodiversity and how they can help people were access different resources. He went, you know, because I'm just thinking about that presentation I had. Because actually, there's there's a fair few points actually that, and it's, you could I think it's what you describe as a light bulb moment. And Tom was sort of sat there like, oh, he was like, you know, this would explain a lot, you know, Mima. He was like, this could. He was like, this is. He was like, I mean, it doesn't change anything. He was like, and I love the fact that you're weird. He was like, but this explains some of the other things that are like almost weird in a in a not helpful way. And I was like, ah. And that was that was that really. I didn't really know what to do. I didn't have a clue what to do next. And that was where you stepped back in again, actually. <laughs> you know, I liked you, and you know, we got a working relationship. A couple of days later, I think, sat you down and was like, you know, it, I don't. It doesn't bother me. I just want to know so we can help you. You know, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change who you are. Um, and, and and we sort of made an agreement. You know, we sort of spoke through a number of things. And I think the real. You know, the first, you know, we talk about, you know, do you want to go through the process of getting diagnosed? And she said, yeah, I think so. It would be useful. Um, and I was like, look, if you are or not, it doesn't change anything. Um, and then, you know, I think the real big change, the first real thing, basically, I always said you could ask, you know, and I always say to all my students, you know, the best thing you do is ask questions. You kind of asked, said, well, can I ask questions about anything? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> and like... And I was like, can I ask questions that are not related to trees or Chatsworth? Was really what I was getting at. And John was sort of like, oh. And I think he probably said yes, not expecting there to be so many questions, which are still ongoing four <laughs> years later. Um, but that was the that was a major turning point because there was just it was like the floodgates opened. I mean, if you looked at our WhatsApp history, it's just it's just a, a, a litany of question and answer it's like i'm interviewing john um but about really weird things lots of things and we've that was that was the start actually finally it's just it was just an amazing process of finding out well it's finding out how my brain worked in comparison to john's but then it was also john figuring out that oh yeah i hadn't even thought about why i did that for example when we're driving along and i pull up to the junction and ask jemima who's to my left how are we looking and jemima's looking at me up and down thinking he doesn't really he's not all that vain he doesn't usually care how he's looking why, why is he asking me how i'm looking at the moment and she's by looking at me and turning sideways on she's actually blocking my view out the left hand window which is what i'm trying to see if there's any cars coming um you know so so many stupid things like that you know like and and, and, and there's so many turns of phrase that jemima would then ask me in the evening you know earlier when you, we were out on site well, I think yeah. I think one of the funniest ones we were sat in a meeting with the estate manager, so sort of the level above us, um, and he talked about some felling John had done a few years ago, and Nick, the boss, he went, "Oh yes, we made a bit of a boob there," and I was a bit like, uh, "Oh, what does that? He made a boob?" I was like, "What does that?" And immediately, I mean, the rest of the conversation I was not a part of because my head was thinking, "How many boobs does Nick have?" What does he make them out of? Where does he put them? Does he put them on the wall? Is it a pair of boobs? Is it just one boob? And as soon as Nick had left the room, I was like, John, did did you make the boob with Nick? And John just looked at me and I was like, well, did you make the boob together? Did you make one each? Did you? And John was like, oh, he said, no, that just means mistake. Boob means mistake. And I was like, oh. So it wasn't quite as exciting as I thought. But yeah, stuff like that. It was just, yeah. yeah. You know, the other the big thing that we, we sort of implemented was the food side of things, wasn't it? So 
you were getting very poor diet. We did, and we actually sat down and and it was quite scary actually I thought oh yeah I actually do quite a physical job and that's not that's not very many calories at all so yeah it was very similar when you um, food is the first thing for me that will if I'm getting stressed out or I'm tired or I'm overwhelmed food is the first thing for me which is not right it's the first thing I'll bin off because it's just I hate even though uh, eating food is fine the thought of actually having to touch food to make it hate touching food, eating food, fine. But if I'm touching it with my hands, no, not interested. Um, so it's just, it's and it just takes so much mental effort that for me, if I'm getting stressed out, the first thing to go will be food, which, makes which makes it worse. And then it makes it even harder because then you've got less energy. But to get the energy, you have to make the food. And it was just, yeah, it was getting a bit, but we, we fixed that too. And yeah, yeah. so we got, we got um, gusto. And that was amazing because you didn't have to go to the shop. So there's none of that stress of going to the shop and working out what food you need. Because I even if I make a list, I'll still walk out to the supermarket and go, oh, I've got X, Y, and Z, but not the one thing I went in for. And it just ruins the night. So they just you send the, they send you they send you everything in a box. It arrives at your front door. It even tells you where to put the food. It tells you which one goes fridge, which one goes cupboard. And then it's already measured out. We did. Some of the instructions weren't quite clear enough. Boil a kettle. And I was like, why do we need to boil a kettle? And it turns out it means just boil some water in a kettle. But, you know, we've got that figured out now. So, <laughs> You know, at work, it was quite a new subject. You know, bringing in things that are so simple but make such a big difference to Jemima's sort of calmness. So well, we sat on a, a bench that you can't see behind us rather than a seat. Jemima likes to be able to lie on the bench or lay on the floor or whatever. I suppose it's fair to say you bought them fairly traditionally, weren't you? Um, So, you know, the traditional thing to do is sit on a seat. That's what is the right thing to do. But actually, it doesn't matter. You know, some people go out and take a cigarette break for 10 minutes. So why can't I need to lay down on the floor, star fishing? So what? What's the difference? You know, and it makes such a difference to sort of productivity. And, 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 you know, the the beauty of it for us is that, well, now you haven't had a seizure for how long? Over a year. Over a year. Um, because the seizure was the sort of combination it was of... The, it was the restart button on the computer. Yeah. Like, you know, it's when you need to get to that stage where it, it gets to a point where it's like, oh, I'm just going to put a side face on the screen and go blue for a bit and then turn back on. And that was basically all my brain was doing, just going, no, no, you're not doing any more of that now. And was just sort of forcing me to, well, yeah, pass out. And, yeah, that was it. So, and, yeah, that hasn't happened for ages because things are just better. We have a team of predominantly male over 50s, um, you know, quite quite old-fashioned, you could say. Um, but actually, I think with a little bit of um, education and understanding, you know, we don't. if Jemai wants to stand in the corner flapping her hands around, or, you know, it's fine. So another one of Jemima's things is she, she gets, she cries quite a lot. Um, not because you're sad, because she's just a bit overwhelmed. It could be overwhelmed with happiness or anything like that. Um, and it's to accept that actually that's okay. And, you know, as a, as a fellow human, it's really difficult. So the first thing you want to do when somebody sees somebody's crying is go over them and, you know, are you okay? Yeah, don't worry. Um, things will be all right. But actually with Jemima, it, it's normal. Um, those tells and, and, and almost, well, retrain your brain. And, you know, for me, it, it's been a really interesting experience because actually all the things I was telling Jemima to do, it made me look in the mirror. And, you know, although she has this label of being autistic, what Jemima goes through is exactly the same as what we all go through. We all go through periods of masking. We all get overloaded with things. And I felt I found a lot of the things I was telling Jemima to do, like, 
be yourself. I looked in the mirror and I was like, actually, John, how can you say that to her? Because you're not, you're not doing it. You're masking all the time, you know? So it made me really reflect on a lot of the things that I was doing. Yeah, and I, it does. And I loved that um, when you mentioned it. And I, was, I, I would have got you to talk about that part of it because I think that that's what people need to understand is it's not, this is not like a one-way thing, right? The, the, the reality is, is that um, you, were, you both benefited from this journey and this experience. Uh, and I think ultimately there's probably too many people, too many young people coming into the workplace who don't get the support. And then they may get into a cycle of moving around jobs. And, and the problem um, for you in this instance is you were struggling with the work and you were struggling with understanding what was negatively impacting you, but you were doing what you love to do in the sense it's what you train to do, but just the system, the process, the structure, the overwhelm, all of these things were inhibiting you, like being your best self, right? And, and, and the things that you did, John, not only empowered um, uh, you to be able to do your best work, but it also empowered you to be a better manager, um, to be your best self as well in that situation. I just think that is probably what gets missed so often, is it's not this extra effort and work that is required, but it's from everyone involved, right? It's not just this one-way thing. And, and I think that was, that's really powerful. Uh, and I think what we also... We don't hear enough of these stories, these situations, to fully comprehend the impact that it has. Um, and when you talk about seizures and not having them, then that that I find that just incredible, incredibly powerful. And it never it doesn't mean that will never happen again, right? Because we know that there is, um, you know, well being, and we we go through different phases of life. But now I would feel like to have that understanding of your neurological makeup and the way that different situations impact you, that knowledge you take with you for life. So uh, I, 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 you know, as somebody who came to autism and ADHD in my late 30s, like I, I would just love that so many people could get that experience as early on as possible, because I think that's transformational in terms of your lifelong journey. Um, so listen, thank you uh, for sharing that with us. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience just as we kind of uh, wrap this up? It's been brilliant, inspirational. I love it. Uh, and it's a journey, right? So it's going to continue on from here. But please, if there's anything else. That We're still learning. We're still learning. The biggest thing I've learned is that people are actually really kind and they're actually really interested. So I started playing cricket a year ago um, and it was the first time in my life that I'd ever gone into an activity and had a true understanding of myself. So I could, I went, I started playing with the men's and obviously John plays. So that was a, right, I can go with John. And he's like my safe. I have a safe human who understands and he'll take his truck. So if all else fails, I'm going to sit at the back of the truck and hide. But it was like amazing to be able to go and this group of 10 other men, <laughs> uh, but to be totally like brutally honest from the start, and they were just a bit like, yeah, Jemima's autistic. She's not good at this stuff, but um, she really likes sport. So, yeah. And they were just so like, they didn't really know what it meant because you, you, you don't. You don't really know what it means. But then they just, you know, they'd check in. So sometimes I'd be crying, but I was crying because I just couldn't get my head around something or there was too much going on. And they'd be a bit like, uh, and John would just be like, she's fine. Just leave her to it. So now it's like got to a point where they just, 
they just really they just chill with everything they don't mind they don't mind me asking weird questions and they're just a really supportive group of what I'd call like safe people I feel safe around them and the the amount of people that I'm feeling safe around is constantly getting bigger and it's like life is really different to how life is in school and in school you spend a lot of your time not I don't I didn't feel safe whereas now I feel really safe so yeah I think it's just people are actually kind when you get to know them and it makes it I think sometimes they're just not kind because they don't understand so if you can help them understand it's a win-win really yeah and I think for people to know yeah the difference they can make every individual this is the difference individuals can make when you think oh these concepts are too lofty they're too big you don't know what to do like this is what it comes down to individual experiences and how you can impact on somebody else's life and their life experiences is powerful uh, and, and and what you do and have done together, I think, is is just a wonderful story that people can take a lot from. And also, Jemima's really good at work now, so uh, that means we get a lot more out of it. <laughs> so, you know, from a, purely from a cynical business side of things. It's, it's been a good investment. It's been a good investment of my time to buy a bench rather than a seat. Brilliant. Winner, winner. Winner, winner. Yeah. <laughs> the life stuff's really important yeah. too. <laughs> It's uh, so so grateful um, that you shared the, the story with me the other day, and I've been able to get you on. Um, and listen, our audience is going to love it. Very much appreciate your time and energy. Um, and please, yeah, continue to share uh, your experiences because I think it, there, is, there is not enough of it, and it will absolutely uh, impact others positively. So thank you so much. Thank you, dear. You keep going the good workers too. <laughs> You've been listening to Neurodiversity, Eliminating Kryptonite, Enabling Superheroes. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can like, share, comment, find us anywhere on any good podcasting host. You can also do some further reading up and buy my book, uh, co-authored with Professor Amanda Kirby. Neurodiversity at Work. You can get it on Amazon with Kogan Page, our publisher, and pretty much any other good bookstore. Enjoy. Look forward to your feedback and keep listening to the show. Thank you.